Thank you for joining us in Season 2 of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Good afternoon, Joel. Howdy, Rabbi Eric. Here we go again. Here we go. <laughs> How are What's you today? On? Wait, are you on staycation, really? Is this a staycation I, week for you? It is. It's a little bit of a staycation. I'm actually using this time, um, in addition to getting a little bit more sleep and rest, I'm organizing. I'm organizing files. I'm organizing things on the computer that I've wanted to optimize or learn. And this is actually for the purpose of next month. I think I may have told you this, but um, I have a one-month sabbatical that I'm taking in July, and I plan on spending it writing. And I have all of these notes from many different sources. And when I say sources, I don't mean books that I've read. I mean the actual places where I've put the notes are in the dozens, ranging from computer programs, iOS apps, on paper. And so that's the kind of stuff that I'm organizing now. Uh, and I'm actually having a good time with it. It's it's surprisingly engaging. Man, I a one-month sabbatical to write. Are you going for blog style or book style or what? Great and fair question. I'm going for book style. My my, I do not have any intention of writing a book in a month, but I do have <laughs> an intention to write enough in a month that it is a solid start to something. I certainly hope to use it at Temple on the for the basis of sermons, adult education, that sort of thing. I mean that that that's a that's table stakes. That that's without question will be done. Um, beyond that is kind of gravy, but I, I would like to write a book. And how would you feel about yourself at the end of July when you look back and realize, man, I didn't get nearly as much done as I thought I would? Ask me at the end of July. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps you will forgive yourself for resting as much as writing. I will forgive myself, much as God forgives the Israelites at multiple times, and much as I forgive you for that fair to middling segue for our topic today. It's like my job. I've got to find some pun or some odd connection that gets us pointed from our, hey, how you doing, to what are we talking about? Well, my my dad joke uh, of the week was yesterday. I had to put my car in for service. That's the other thing I'm doing this week is all the errands I don't normally have time to do. And uh, someone asked me, uh, how, you know, did everything get fixed? And I said, yes, the Honda dealership accorded me with good service. Nice. We just they lost did their civic listeners. duty. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Ooh, that is so much better. So much better. Um, all right, let's get into it. <laughs> Well, this week's topic is forgiveness. It seems like the natural thing, but if you if you listen to how spiritual people and how people who wish to be more spiritual talk about forgiveness, there are a lot of phrases that uh, are in use, like, ah, forgive and forget. Or uh, you might find people referring to forgiveness in a spiritual context quite often, and a lot of that comes from texts. But as Eric and I were thinking about it and planning for this season, 
We realized forgiveness is one of those words like love. People can say it real quickly and not really understand or not really pause to think about how heavy and how big an ask it is. And is it naive, really, to ask one another for forgiveness or to expect it of us when real pain or injustice is done? What does good, scriptural, holy, righteous forgiveness look like as we practice it as fellow human beings? And Joel, I would add forgiveness of self to that as well. Um, and, and the other thing I was thinking of, too, is that I, I think all religious people struggle the most with two themes, and, and they're both related. One is suffering, which we'll get to, and two is forgiveness. And uh, I, I don't know how one can take religion seriously and not think about forgiveness of God, from God, of another human being, who has the right to forgive? Um, do we always have the right to ask forgiveness? Are some things unforgivable? So uh, let's get into it. Um, where do you want to start? Uh, well, last week I pointed to the Lord's Prayer a smidge for thy will be done. Um, this week I'm not going to lift up that text as troublesome, but just know that when, when in that same prayer, um, Christians of various stripes at one point or another will say, forgive us our debts or trespasses or sins as we forgive our debtors or those who trespass against us or those who sin against us. So there is this statement of Jesus in teaching us to pray that says, we will never expect more forgiveness for ourselves than we are able to offer to others. And that's that's troublesome, right? It it says to to myself and those around me in our community that we have to be a community that exudes forgiveness in order to be a forgiven community ourselves. And if if there is judgment or something coming out of us more than forgiveness, we are more likely to be judged. That is another one of his tough sayings. It's, it's from Luke 6. Do not judge, and you won't be judged. Do not condemn. You won't be, be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. It's how many churches, congregations, think of themselves as a place that intentionally practices forgiveness inside and beyond itself in order to have the benefits of being forgiven themselves. Usually when we're talking about a Christian congregation, belief is the prerequisite to forgiveness. But Jesus doesn't talk about it that way um, as often as he talks about it being forgiving is the prerequisite and pathway to forgiveness. And I'll... I'll go a step forward by taking a few steps back, namely before creation. Um, you know, Judaism, as you know, Joel, has, has a great deal of midrashim of stories that kind of ask what if questions and, and, um, look at things in a way the Torah doesn't. And so one of them says that before God said, let there be light. 10 things were created. So 
before the story of creation happened as we know it through Genesis, God created 10 things in the universe. And some of them are super interesting. I'm not going to name all 10. One of them is the ram that Abraham would later sacrifice. Of course, this goes into our previous conversation of free will uh, a, a little bit too. But one of them, and I'm going to have to define a Hebrew word that is this is the one Hebrew word for all of our listeners. And if you don't know it, Joel, although you very well may, uh, it, it's tshuva. Uh, in English, it, it's usually T apostrophe S-H-U-V-A-H. And it, it's usually used colloquially, colloquially as forgiveness, seeking forgiveness. It means more than that. It literally means turning. And the way I phrase it sometimes to my congregation is turning toward the best parts of yourselves which sometimes may or may not yet be even discovered. You may not know what that is yet. But um, one of those 10 things that God creates, according to this Midrash, is tshuva, that forgiveness, improvement is inherent in the fabric of the universe. And that is just so damn comforting to me um, because it allows us to be off the hook for trying to be perfect. It allows us to truly make mistakes in, in a more uh, real way than, oh, everybody makes mistakes. But, you know, we are going to hurt one another from time to time. We're going to hurt ourselves from time to time. Hopefully, it is nothing so egregious and serious that it is beyond, that it is beyond forgiveness. But if we take seriously the idea that tshuva is inherent in the universe, that means that all of us have both the ability and I would say the responsibility to think about our deeds and then improve upon them. And that is, uh, how can you do that without forgiveness as a foundational principle? Uh, it, forgiveness in itself as a word, it's kind of weird. Like, oh, sorry, forgive me, right, for a little thing. Or you can pardon someone, and that has more of a a judicial feel to it. it that Hebrew word that you're talking about, is it is it more of an, an interrelational word or more of a judicial word when you think <laughs> of so it? I'm so glad you asked that because, it, because as usual, you, you ask questions that I should be asking myself as I explain things. It is very much interpersonal. As a matter of fact, this word chuva is probably the key word, so to speak, of our high holiday services that are coming up in September, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur specifically, which is the Day of Atonement, it is the day in which we seek forgiveness for eight to ten hours in synagogue praying. And there's a, a reading that we repeat, which says, for sins, for wrongdoing against God, God forgives. But for wrongdoing against someone else, God does not forgive until you have sought out that person for forgiveness. And, and while I'm on that topic, and this speaks to the issue of, well, what if someone doesn't want to give forgiveness? If you as a wrongdoer, which we all are, of course, approach someone three times in good faith, with humility, with um, integrity 
to seek forgiveness and that person does not forgive you, you are, the, the technical term is yotze, you are freed from the obligation. It doesn't mean that that person must forgive you. I mean, just like we probably have hurts that we have a hard time letting go of. But in terms of God and Jewish law, you are now, you are absolved because you have done the right thing and you, of course, cannot control what another person does. Hmm. Yeah, the Greek words that are often there there are two or three different Greek words and I I'm not remembering all of them. Um but one I is like charizomai uh and it has charisma. You hear that that's that word in its core and it does mean something like um a a releasing, a, a letting go, um a a turning away from uh, and that was often used. But I, I think the one Jesus uses is a aboluo, which is a loose from. And it really means like destroy from <laughs> as well. So um, luo meant to loose or to destroy or to allow there to be the the massive chaos of, of nothing binding anymore. Uh, so I... I have to think of it, forgiveness, through all those lenses, the kind of the legalistic form that, that Greek will sometimes talk about, the, the interpersonal form, and then the, the unidirectional, like sometimes the other person doesn't ask for it, doesn't deserve it, doesn't want it, doesn't even engage looking for it. But there is a one-directional forgiveness, the Apolluo style of forgiveness that Jesus sometimes talks about, that is releasing myself from this weird binding pain between me and my oppressor, the one who did me injury. It doesn't justify what they did. It doesn't permit them to do it again, you know, it, but it, it keeps me from drinking the poison over and over again from the pain they inflicted. Um, so I, that's a weird phrase that you'll sometimes hear or see stitched on a friggin' pillow. <laughs> but I, I think there is something about forgiveness that does have the legalistic form, the interpersonal mutuality form, and then the unidirectional form that says, you're not asking for it, you don't deserve it, I don't care. I'm forgiving you anyway. I'm letting you go um, and back into the world without hatred on my heart for you because of the evil you did to me. And in Judaism, forgiveness is very much not tied into the colloquialism of what you brought up earlier, forgive and forget. It's very much not forgetting and forgiving anyway. Uh, it, and I, I think we talked about this way earlier, you know, season one, um, before we were talking about these difficult texts. But this does not mean that actions don't have consequences. It doesn't mean it, it is not. And th I think this is why we're talking about this today is when we talk about forgiveness and we talk about uh, God creating us in the divine image. And so God forgives, therefore we forgive and um, love thy neighbor as thyself which is a central text for me, <laughs> the difficulty there is not that we necessarily disagree with them. The difficulty is actually that if we really take them seriously, they're, I don't want to say impossible to follow, but really hard to follow. They're, they sound beautiful and they're great words to quote, 
Um, but we all have people, whether in our lives or kind of writ large in the world, whether political figures or people we read about or, you know, awful people that do awful things where, wow, I have a really hard time seeing God's image in that person. I don't deny that it's there, but wow, is that hard. And so there's a naivete, which I think is the difficulty of, okay, yes, everyone's created in God's image, but then when that person wrongs you in some way, that's not, you know, it's not murder. It's, a, you know, it's something that is forgivable, but not necessarily easy. So uh, are you connecting that? love to forgiveness? Like, because you were talking there about, you know, love, love your one another as I love myself and love God. And then you quickly I switch am. to forgiveness. How, how are those two interrelated, but how are they different? from one another. I am because in my understanding of Judaism is that love is not a feeling, love is an action. And we demonstrate my wife would love that I'm saying this right now by the way. <laughs> she was like well, uh, you know she's a cognitive behavioral therapist. And so w intentions sure they they matter a little, but ultimately they don't matter much. So it's the whole, you know, don't say you love me, show you, show me you love me. And so in Judaism, the way we show God love, and this goes back to some uh, a topic we keep coming back to, isn't by belief, it's by action. And those actions are prescribed through our 613 mitzvot in the Torah. And when we say this prayer that we say every day, three times a day, actually, via hafta, which starts, you shall love the Lord your God, it's not a prayer of emotion. And lots of people think it is. It's a prayer of rededicating yourself to the law, to the mitzvot. And so in that sense, just like love is an action, forgiveness is an action. And so in that way, I think they're very much linked. Well, and I'm going to trust. So that's one thing that Judaism does so much better than Christianity sometimes is it pulls us back to the disciplines, the actions. At the same time, I would assume, Rabbi, that if somebody was basically going through the motions, the actions, with very little intention to let those disciplines change that person, who they are and how they interact with others in the world, they were just doing it for purely selfish intentions. If I do these meets vote, I get something for myself. So the reason I do them is for the benefit to me. That's an unloving uh, way to follow the meets vote. And I, absolutely, I think there has to be some connection between the intention, the words, and the actions of love or forgiveness. So if we're talking about forgiveness, here's a, here's a weird, tough text. In Matthew, in the big Sermon on the Mount, after he's teaching all about forgiveness, Jesus will say something like, if, some people translate it as when, when you forgive others, God forgives you. And if when you don't, God doesn't forgive you either. And that one hurts. So if we read that text in the frame of an intention only, a person can feel like they've forgiven and, and therefore forgiven someone and therefore feel like they are forgiven by God. But the question becomes, are your actions showing that? And just a few verses later, a few chapters later, there's a paralytic man who's 
who can't walk and he can't really t- um, function for himself and friends bring him to Jesus. And Jesus sees their faith on the paralyzed man's behalf and says, take heart, your because of their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he forgives the paralyzed man's sins. And then he says, after they challenge him, take up your mat and walk, and the man walks away. So there's the way Jesus is embodying forgiveness. He's saying that somehow the actions of others can embody forgiveness for for us. There's two beautiful parallels there. One is on Yom Kippur. There are several times where we recite a confession, vidui in Hebrew. Tshuva is really the only word anyone needs to know today. These are all extra, <laughs> but vidui means confession. And it's an acrostic. So um, I, don't know, I don't know it off the top of my head, but it, we, we recite, again, I'll use the word sin in air quotes, going from Aleph to Taf. So the, in order of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And we recite them together as a community. It's not a silent prayer. And the idea is that no one person has committed all of these sins, God forbid, but that we as a community have. And because of that, we are all, it's, it's like the Heschel quote, some are guilty, all are responsible, that we are all responsible for them. So that, that's the communal piece. The other thing that struck me about what you said with the first part is Maimonides, when talking about forgiveness and what qualifies and doesn't qualify, he says, if you, if you seek forgiveness, kind of <laughs> with your fingers crossed behind your back, right? Like knowing in, in full knowledge that you are going to do this again, then sure, that person may forgive you because they don't know your true motives, but don't think that you're really forgiven. Don't think that you've done the thing you're supposed to do. And so th- there are all of those elements of responsibility that are that are added to it. Oof. Forgiveness is all over the place. Um, if you think about Christianity, the core of uh, some the most simplistic understanding of Christianity is forgiveness of sins um, on the assumption that sin is the reason we die, which I don't like that assumption, <laughs> right? I think we all die whether or not. Um, and Jesus, the sinless one, died. So there you go. Uh, it's not just our sin that forces us towards death. It's a natural part of how God created things somehow. But Christians have often looked for an escape from the consequences of sin, which is death. And that escape is forgiveness. And we can't get it for ourselves, so we call the Messiah the one whose actions on our behalf forgive us. Um, So if that's the core of Christianity – we begin to realize how important it is for us as a community to embody a posture of forgiveness as we go through the world. If the one that we follow did what he did so that others could be forgiven, then shouldn't we, as his church, his body, shouldn't we 
speak and act as ways together and outside in the world so that others, not ourselves, are forgiven. And so much of Christianity seems to be focused on getting forgiveness for us. When following Jesus suggests, no, you you embody Christianity. You act like him, his words and his deeds into the world so that the world sees and feels and believes they too are forgiven by, by this same God. Can we talk about forgiveness of oneself? Please. For a little bit? Yeah. You know, so again, from, from my wife, uh, we've talked about this a lot, that, you know, guilt can be paralyzing. And in that, in that sense, it can be somewhat selfish that if you're constantly feeling guilty for what you either did or didn't do, that may give you permission not to do what you should be doing. You know, I, I'm reminded, I, I don't know if it's a quote or just something I believe that it sounds like it should be a quote is that there's no wrong time to start doing the right thing. And so even if you've done wrong things in the past, that should not do not let that prevent you from now doing the right thing. And I think sometimes we punish ourselves by not thinking that we're deserving of being forgiven or not even deserving of doing the right thing because we were so bad with regard to something else previously. And um, I know, you know, Judaism certainly pushes back on that. And, and I, here I'll use the... How? How does the, Judaism the, push back on that? Well, I think it's that uh, it goes back to being created in the image of God, that we we have the obligation to use our lives for holiness. And simply lamenting and feeling guilty and and being paralyzed with that is not doing that. Now, of course, I'm, I'm saying this like a rabbi as if it's that easy to do. I mean, I, I get caught up in this just as every, anybody else with regard to certain relationships or things that I want to do in my life. Um, but it does help uh, to, to remind me of, of some of the things Judaism says and cajoles and commands regarding this. Yeah, on this. I mean, we're to be holy. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and I'll just say one other quick one um, is God command. I go to this one all the time. Uh, God commands Abraham, lech lecha, go forth. And, you know, that is not you just go to that a, one a physical. Lot. That one is like, I, yeah, that's yeah, one yeah. of your big verses. I can tell. It means a lot to you. Well, there's, there, isn't there the joke that, you know, all clergy have just like three sermons that just delivered in hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of different ways, right? Yeah. Um, that the, the it's not just a geographical journey from his homeland to the promised land. It is a spiritual journey, and all of us are on a spiritual journey, and it's supposed to bring us closer to holiness and God and not further away. And at times it's one step forward, two steps back, but hopefully at times it's two steps forward, maybe no steps back. And so just keep, you know, it's, it's like finding Nemo, Nemo, just keep swimming. Okay. One of the reasons Jesus is killed is because he dared to say out loud reassurance to others that their sins were forgiven. And the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and temple priests, uh, they attacked 
Jesus and said that was blasphemy for him to assume upon himself the the assurance of forgiveness of others um, based off of their the the actions and the words that they were showing or that others showed on their behalf Jesus would make an, a a statement in public that other people's sins were forgiven and they called it blasphemy and it was one of the big accusations they used to justify killing him later what is it like for you as a as a leader of of folks in the, in the nation of Israel to talk about forgiveness and where is the line where our assumption of forgiveness could be perceived as blasphemous versus reassuring. Well, this actually relates to the question I wanted to ask you, which I I think what you're asking about is the line between human forgiveness and divine forgiveness. That as judicial leaders, you know, we mete out punishments and and rewards, right? So, you know, you go to court for something, the judge is going to decide something and you have to abide by that or face even more consequences. But that has nothing to do with divine forgiveness. And so if we talk about something horrible like murder, I I have no problem with someone serving jail time for that, you know, commensurate with the crime as determined by by a jury of their peers. And I the divine forgiveness, that's that's beyond me. That that's I, I don't have a say in that. I can't have an opinion on that. I also can't have an opinion on whether that person is truly sorry or not. Only that person can. And that's between that person and God. And so um, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's certainly, I think, a part of it. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, do you ever reassure your people that they are forgiven by God? My quick answer is no, because that's not, I don't think that's much, that's as much of a construct as it is in Christianity. Now, going back to Yom Kippur, it's baked into the liturgy and into the, the, the formation of the day that the, the day is in some ways a practice for one's own funeral. Um, just like you confess before you die on a deathbed, you you know during Yom Kippur we spend all day confessing. We dress in all white like a funeral shroud, and then at sunset, after we fasted the whole day from sunset the previous day through sunset, you kind of come out on the other side, and it's this idea of coming out unto life, unto strength, unto renewal, and th- that that has a, a notion of it of, of forgiveness, but I. I think Judaism, and again, my understanding of it, and certainly my my preference of understanding of it, is that that forgiveness to some degree has to be earned, and and it's earned by more than than going to services and having you know having the rabbi quote unquote forgive you. And you know, I mean, I know you know this, Joel, but I am not an intermediary, right? Like I, I'm not a theological necessity for my parishioners. The, the, anything that they don't need a rabbi to achieve anything in Judaism um, from a halakhic Jewish law point of view. We have built into our liturgy in every worship service a, you know, it starts with 
welcome and announcements and big, strong music and a, some kind of liturgical call to worship that we, we cooperate in and maybe a prayer and a big song. Early in each worship service, Presbyterians do this and a lot of Reformed traditions do this, but not every Christian community does. We have a, a corporate and personal prayer of confession. And Caitlin and I will, will write words of confession and put those in people's mouths. We will ask them, let's pray this corporate prayer of confession together as one people. And I'll have individuals sometimes say to me, like, I don't like that part. I, I don't do some of that stuff. It just goes back to what you were saying earlier. Not Hopefully none of us do mm-hmm. all of that, but all of us do some of that. And we are equally liable for what the community does, not just what we individually do. So after that, in a moment of silence, I go down to the baptismal font, the, the place, the water, where we will baptize somebody as a sign or a symbol of God's forgiveness of sins in, in, in Christ. And I will say words, and it's called the assurance of forgiveness. I will assure the people that all those who are in Christ are forgiven. And whatever was, it is washed away. And a new life begins here, now, right now. Um, and that is is supposed to be recognition of the prayerful and actual efforts to show forgiveness and to feel forgiven and to be forgiveness in the world, as well as a acknowledgement that we can never fully embody speak forgiveness slash love to ourselves or to others, and God will close that difference too. Um, so there are texts about this, and they push, they push on that. Um, some of the texts in the New Testament say something like, when you forgive, God will forgive you. When you don't, God won't. It, but it also says things like, you can sin against the Son of Man and God's always going to forgive you. But then it'll say, but if you sin against Holy Spirit, God might not forgive you. And there's a, and what constitutes a sin against the Holy Spirit? The church has so freaked out about that one for a really long time. Um, in some ancient traditions that still have some some baggage and some legs today, the only sin that some Christian denominations say is against Holy Spirit is suicide because it doesn't give you a chance for words or action of repentance. So they deemed suicide to be the only sin, only unforgivable sin against Holy Spirit because there's no opportunity for repentance the way they translate that as a son of a father who committed suicide, I don't like that <laughs> theology very much, and I don't buy it, and I don't prescribe it, nor do I preach it. Um, the way I think of it is my ability to ask for forgiveness or to embody it does not determine God's generosity of forgiveness to me. Um, and so those who are very repentant or barely repentant or non-repentant, it's still in God's hands whether or not they can be and are forgiven. Um, but I, 
And there we go, differentiating human versus divine forgiveness. My forgiveness needs to look like divine forgiveness. It can never be so. And my forgiveness isn't dependent. Uh, My divine forgiveness isn't dependent on my human ability to forgive, uh, since it can never be so. But the the calling, I think, of those of us who who follow this this God of Israel is to attempt to embody divine forgiveness to to others and to ourselves, even though that is a ridiculously high bar. This is complicated by the fact that in the Torah there are times when God is immeasurably forgiving and immeasurably stern and unforgiving. I mean, I think you brought this up last week that shortly after the the incident with the golden calf, God was ready to destroy all the Israelites again. You know, and God had already promised not to do anything like that after the, the flood with Noah. And Moses says, okay, just relax, God, it'll be okay. And so it, I would say that God, the God of the Torah, yes, very forgiving, but there are also times when that's not the case. Now, interesting to note, however, um, we have in Judaism what are called the 13 attributes of God, and they have to do, well, not have to do, they are what Moses called God as God's shadow passed before Moses. And one of the first ones is slow to anger. That's one. And then easy to forgive is another. And so meaning not easy to forgive God, that God is easy to forgive. And again, on the high holidays, which we keep coming back to, um, there's this, again, oft-repeated line, God, it's not the death of sinners that you seek, but rather that they, or the way I like to phrase it, we amend our ways and seek you. And so it's not about retribution. It's about how can we move forward? And that, that's what I think about forgiveness, because th- that word, as you said, it's so heavy. It's so laden. Perhaps it's naive. How can I forgive someone? It, it's not about forget. And again, it's not about forgetting. But how can we move forward? Joel, you you did this to me. You, you didn't do anything to me. But you know, you, Joel's like, what did I do? <laughs> you, you know, you you really hurt me in in doing this the other day. How can we move forward? And it might not be as great friends. We might not even be able to play Xbox together. But we'll still move forward in some way. God forbid anything like that ever happened. But that that's what I think of forgiveness as is a moving forward. You know, there's this weird thought that I have. Does God ever want or like our forgiveness? People will attribute to God things that are not God's. But it's hard to convince them that those things are not God's. So if I can't convince someone that that thing in their life that they still hate um, wasn't God. They are they are a hundred percent committed to that being God in their life. Um, is it okay to teach people to embody, feel, and think 
and say words and embody an attitude of forgiveness to God for the thing that they cannot get over. I think so. <laughs> I'm not I'm not teaching them something upside down about God or Well, I mean, my first response is, how do you know, right? I mean, so, you know, I I got in an argument, not an argument, but I got into a discussion once with someone from my former congregation about life after death. And she said, I just know that when I die, I'll see my parents again. And, you know, we were talking, it it was, the class was a personal belief class. So I I wasn't, it sounds like I was being a jerk. I mean, we were all sharing our personal beliefs and I was talking about how I don't personally believe that. And she said, well, you don't know. I said, that's true, but you don't know either. She said, no, I do. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so, you know, and that's where we talk, the gap between faith and knowledge and what is that. But I, I think that if if one in their own theology thinks that God is responsible for something and it is something that is not good, it's something that causes harm, whether intentionally or not, I think one can engage in a process that forgives God. And, and I would also say that it, to forgive God entails a kind of relationship. It also it entails a kind of serious thinking about God and the role of God in one's life. And so to, to even get to a point to, to forgive God implies that, that you're doing all those things. And so I'd much rather hear someone talk about forgiving God than <laughs> going back to last week. Well, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> I think we can learn a lot about God in how we teach and practice forgiveness. And Absolutely. And those who embody, well, I'm not forgiving him until he apologizes and asks for it, right? I, okay, sure. I really wish they would apologize. I really wish they were so committed to this relationship that the harm that they did, they were willing to come and sit with you, listen to how you feel about that, were able to explain to you what they were thinking and feeling and apologize and apologize, and y'all could hug it out and move forward in some new, beautiful way. But sometimes people suck at that. They will not apologize. They will not show up. They will not listen. They will only talk. And they, they won't hear what the other, how the other person is hurt. They won't defer for just a little bit and, and submit themselves into the relationship as opposed to protecting themselves as an individual who has rights and freedoms to say and do what I think and feel, even if that hurts other people that I supposedly care about. Um, And I think the way God chooses to relate to us is not from that, oh my gosh, you people, like, I'm so sick of listening to you. I am... I'm just going to walk away from you because you never listen to me. I, God is tenacious and holds on and loves us anyway and listens to us anyway, even though we hurt God so often. We misunderstand God so often. And we don't For sure. let God tell us God's real intentions. We, we impose on God our assumptions of God's intentions and don't let God clarify that. And God's way of doing relationship with us is to hold on and listen and wait 
and forgive us anyway, even if we don't ask for it. Um, and I love that, but because Christianity sometimes forces um, confession and belief and apology towards God to earn God's forgiveness. But that's not how God embodies forgiveness to us. And if we then say upon each other, well, I therefore expect apology and forgiveness and repentance from you before I will forgive you, um, my friend or my enemy. We are not embodying the God that we see in creation I all agree. the way to Christ. I agree. But that doesn't mean it's easy. <laughs> That's the naive part, right? That's right. Ugh. I I would be so remiss. I would actually have to seek forgiveness if I didn't bring up one more. And I think this is how I'll end today. It, one more example is Jacob and Esau. Hmm. So Jacob steals... Like he connives Esau out of his birthright by selling him a bowl of soup when he's starving, when Esau is starving, and of course he's wittier than Esau, and he so he puts the he puts the stumbling block before Esau uh, of this hot, delicious soup, and then when their father Isaac is dying, he tricks his father into thinking that he Isaac is Esau, and Isaac gives Jacob. The, the blessing of the firstborn that should have gone to Esau. And Jacob runs away because Esau, he's fearful that Esau is going to kill him. Well, more than 20 years later, they are reunited. And Jacob is pretty smart. He sends all of this wealth ahead of him to, to show that he's, that, that, you know, Esau has a right to be angry. It's kind of this, I take it as this kind of admission of, of wrongdoing and guilt. It's also possibly to protect himself. There's a self-interest component there. But when they see each other, the Torah tells us they embrace and weep. And, and what I love about this story is, is that I, I find this story to be so human in that you know, they don't share a close relationship afterwards. The Torah doesn't tell us about how they, you know, they played golf four days a week and they watched their kids grow up together. None of that. Uh, they actually don't see each other again until their father dies and they reunite at the funeral. But this idea that they are able to hug, admit the pain and the tension and, and some vulnerability by weeping and kind of letting it go, and again, I'll use that phrase again, moving forward in their own lives. I think that that is, that is a real example of forgiveness. It, it's not this idealized thing. It's very real. It's very grounded. It's both painful and beautiful. And I, I think that sometimes that that is literally the best we can do. And I don't mean that in a negative way, like, oh, it's the best you could hope for. I mean, that is the best we can do. And we should strive for that. And I get the sense from that Jacob Esau story, that first reunion, that Esau was way more comfortable with it than Jacob was. That, okay, you're sending me all these gifts and you're doing all this stuff and you're showing me your family and all your successes. Fine, 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 whatever. I was mad at you for a few years, but you know what? You're my brother and you're on the run. I hurt for you and I miss you and I forgive you. And I've wondered how long it's going to take you to come home. 
versus Jacob, who has carried around the guilt for decades and been in such pain because he'd never believed that he was worthy of forgiveness. He never went looking for it or asking for it. He never trusted that his brother might have the heart to forgive him. I, I feel like it it hurt Jacob longer and deeper than it did Esau. And Jacob's tears are tears of surprise and relief and joy. And Esau's feel like tears of reunion and hope and fruition. But I, I don't know if my perception of that is right, but that's how it's felt to me. I like that reading. That's a really there's a sermon there. Esau and Jacob's tears and mm. what they what they mean. Um, you know, as a call to to our listeners, if I can humbly make one, I would say to seek out opportunities where you can both be forgiven and forgive. Both are equally important. Nice. And you are deserving of both. And those you know are deserving of both. Today's mine and Jill's anniversary. Um, 31 years. Wow! I know, I know. Uh, Talk about forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, happy anniversary. Thanks, That's man. That's amazing. Thanks. Well, so I, I probably won't be seeing you online tonight. No, you will not. We are headed onto a boat slash star tour uh, where we're going out with a, an astronomer from one of the local colleges, and he's taking his sextant, and we're going to talk about the stars. How cool. I know. So for so for Father's Day, Emily got me a it's one of those pictures of you know when you see like what the constellations will look like at a at a certain night in a, in a certain geography. So it's the it's at, it's what the sky in Athens, Georgia looked like when Aaron was born. <laughs> nice. Oh, this is good. I hope so. I I hope everyone out there feels some sense of forgiveness from us <laughs> for on behalf of God for that weight that you have carried way too long. Beautiful. Amen. Keep it real. Take care, everyone. Shalom. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realigionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real. <laughs>